Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from HowStuffWorks.com. Welcome to the podcast. This is Molly. And I'm Kristen. Kristen, this is the podcast that's airing right before the uh, very prominent winter holiday, yes. Christmas. Yes. No disrespect to any other winter holidays because what we're about to talk uh, about re- regards to any holiday where major gift giving is involved. Yeah. And it could even be, you know, birthday or any day you'd like to give. You know, Kristen, your birthday is coming up. My birthday, yes, is two days away from when we are recording this right now. So it's your birthday. It's almost Christmas time. And I uh, just want to know, you know, what did you get me for Christmas? Let's ignore your birthday for for a while. Well, Molly, um, first of all, that is a secret because <laughs> Christmas is not yet upon us. And if I were to tell you what I got you, um, you know, I mean, we're recording this in on December 1st, not to, not to give away the podcast timeline, but that would be a whole month that you'd know what you got. I just want to know now. No, because I'm saving up the longer, longer you can hold out. See, I'm saving up the, just the, the joy of being, of giving you something, of being the giver and receiving the intangible delight of that, just that look on your face when you unwrap this present that I'm apparently giving you. (laughs) Um, and you know, Reaping the the benefit of your joy, yeah, that leads us well into our our topic for the day mm-hmm. because I think uh, I kind of just answered it. <laughs> I think you did, but Chris, I haven't even told people what the what the question you just answered is. I know I, that was just me um, dodging around the dodging whole, around the bullet present. because you didn't expect to buy me a Christmas no. present. Uh, working with you every day is a present, Kristen. Um, no, the question for the day is: It better to give. Than to receive an age old phrase you'll often hear probably from your mother, stuff mother, mom never told you. And, uh, you know, Kristen in, in attempting to sidestep my demand for a present, uh, has, has artfully gotten into some of the issues that we're going to talk about, about, you know, do we give to see that look on someone's face? Do we give because it's expected of us as I have now just put the ball in Kristen's court? Mm-hmm. Um, why, why do we give it all? Why do we like giving? And, you know, in the, in the days before Christmas, don't you kind of just want to say shove it all? Like, right. And you it, don't want to go to the mall. You don't want to do the wrapping. And it seems like the act of gift giving sort of goes against human nature. I mean, we're pretty selfish creatures mm-hmm. when it comes right down to it. So where did this whole gift giving thing come from? Because, um, there was an article about this by Tara Parker Pope from the New York Times who points out that we have been, different cultures have been giving gifts in these kind of ceremonial ways, sort of the same way we do around the holidays and with birthdays for thousands of years. And she traces it back to um, a custom called potlatch, which is a whole community-wide gift-giving celebration where households almost compete to give away the most possessions. Yeah, if you end up poor by the end of a potlatch, then you are going to be the most respected person after the event, because the goal is just to give until it hurts. And there are also evolutionary theories behind why we would have this gift giving 
trait, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so ingrained, you could almost call it a trait. Um, the, the theory that men who are the most generous might have the most reproductive success with women. And then women who are the most skilled at giving, such as extra food or something, some kind of clothing, um, might be the best at taking care of a, a family. So what, what she's saying is that maybe if a man was watching a woman give her best friend a sweater, yeah. that maybe subconsciously he's thinking, oh, she's going to be a good, good mom. It's another way to demonstrate your value, your reproductive fitness. And we've talked about that with like engagement right. rings. Like the, I, the act of the man giving the ring sends a signal to the community and to the woman he's about to marry that he's making this investment in her. And it builds that. It's a tangible um, representation of the social bond between people. Mm-hmm. So... We have this ingrained habit of giving gifts, but at the same time, you know, we have to spend money on a gift. We have to think about it. We have to go out and get something unless you are really crafty and you can make it yourself. Or if you're good at online shopping, or if you're, which exactly. I am really good at. Um, whereas if you just get the present, I mean, I'm looking forward to my birthday in a couple of days because <laughs> all I have to do is sit there and have people throw presents at my face and I'll just unwrap them. But what if you don't like them? Then I take it back, put that cash in my pocket, and take myself to the arcade. <laughs> yeah, that does not inspire confidence in me as a potential gift giver to you for your birthday. All right. But, you know, the thing is, like you said, it's an expected thing. We do it. It's it's ingrained in us. And, uh, you know, we, we value gift giving. Even if you get this gift and you don't love it, you're still going to be like, oh, I respect this person. It's the thought that counts. It's the thought that counts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have this uh, impression as a society, when you think again about these potlatches, that gift giving and generosity is good. That yeah. someone who wouldn't give a present is Scrooge McDuck. Right. That, you know, we, we value gift giving. But the question is, is it better to give to receive? Where is the value? Do we value more the giving or the receiving? Now, if you were to ask any any psychologist whether it's better to give or receive, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that psychologist is going to say, well, of course, the giver reaps the most benefits out of it. Emotionally, I mean, you know, physical benefits, the other person got the present. Yeah, let's 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 be honest. But there's all this work being done on what happens to your brain, to your nervous system, to your entire body when you give something. And as it happens, there are quite uh, quite a few physical effects of giving that can perhaps lead to longer life, mm-hmm. lead to better health, um, and just make you happier overall. Yeah, there's been a lot of research in recent years on the science of happiness, and a lot of it does come back to altruism and giving. For instance, there was um, a study published in the journal Science in 2008 that really studied how people responded, people at different income levels responded to how they would then spend that money. For instance, they got a pool of people and told them that they were going to get a company bonus of anywhere from $3,000 to $8,000. And then they went back and measured their happiness six to eight weeks after getting the bonus and also tracked how they spent the money. And what the researchers found was that regardless of whether you got the $3,000 bonus or the maximum $8,000 bonus, the income didn't make a difference. It was overall the people who gave away the most, who spent the money on more other people, gave it to a charity, 
were the happiest at the end of that six-week period. Right. And so then they wanted to see, is it just these large amounts of money? Uh, you know, the $3,000 to $8,000 bonus, I'm sure to a lot of people, sounds like something that would definitely increase happiness. Yeah. Um, but then they said, well, what if it's just, you know, between 5 and $20? Because they gave volunteers that much money. And they said, you can spend this on yourself or you can spend it on someone else. Now, Kristen, if someone handed you $5, would you go buy yourself a nice latte or would you buy me a nice latte? It depends on if you're around and how much of a caffeine boost I need at the time. That, fair enough, fair enough. But the researchers are saying that if you bought me the latte, you would be, you'd be much happier. And so it's from these small amounts of money, from $5 to up to $8,000, it's the give, it's not the acquisition of the money that makes the people happy, it's the giving it away to others that makes people happy. So they're saying, you know, if you want to get that quick boost, $5 to a charity, this time of year could could go a long way. And I think that this quote from Michael Norton, who's a professor at Harvard Business School, who has uh, delved into a lot of these topics about money and happiness and giving, sums it up well when he says, most people would think that if you make more money, you're going to be a lot happier. Our results and a lot of other people's results show that making more money does make you a little bit happier, but it doesn't really have a huge impact. Instead, our study suggests that maybe little changes in how you spend is what makes that difference, which is kind of interesting to think about. And, you know, giving to others does not have to be monetary. And I'm going to talk now about uh, something that was in the Monitor on Psychology in 2003. And they were reporting on a study that found that giving support and assistance is just as important as giving money in terms of making you happier and increasing your lifespan by, by years. And they were saying people who helped spouses and friends and family and neighbors by doing things like giving them rides, running errands, doing their shopping, helping out with housework or childcare, these people had physical effects on their lifespan that the people who didn't help other people in their lives didn't have. Right. And this is from a study where the researchers tracked around 420 older couples over a five-year period, and they controlled for different health issues. And those people who were doing those good deeds, giving of themselves in one way or another, uh, were twice as likely to survive over that five-year period as the people who weren't giving. Basically, um, they were leading healthier, happier lives just by possibly by giving. I mean, there is a little bit of correlation causation Mm -hmm. here, but research does overall seem to say that giving is good for you. So, so far we've done giving to charity, giving uh, of services and your time. But as we pointed out, Kristen's birthday is coming up. Holidays are coming up. People are starting to give wrapped presents. And the question has to become when you exchange a wrapped present is it better to give than to receive? And this is where we're going to turn to an interesting researcher named Joel Waldfogel. Now, Professor Waldfogel got a pretty bad reputation for himself. He's a professor um, of economics at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania. And he really, he really ruffled some feathers in 1993 when he published a paper entitled The Deadweight Loss of Christmas, where he, wah, wah. yeah, in which he 
sized up how much people value items that they received as gifts. And he concluded that 13% of the value of what someone was giving was given was completely destroyed just by the process of choosing the wrong thing. And he brings up an, an example of like a red sweater versus a blue sweater. You, you know, you, you see this nice sweater, you know, that I'd like a sweater, but you just go with the red instead of the blue. I unwrap it. I really hate the color red. Done right there. 13% I've wasted value my money. gone. Destroyed. I've wasted my money. The only chance of making up that value is if it has any sentimental value to you. Yes. Whereas, you know, if you had gone to the store yourself and you bought the red sweater, even though you really don't love the color red, but you're just out, you need an impulse buy, you bought it. Walt Vogel is saying you're still going to like it better because you bought it for yourself than because I bought it for you. Yeah, and it's exactly what I wanted. Yeah, because you because you bought it yourself, even though red and blue again. Maybe you would have wanted the blue when you opened the present, but when you when you got the red for yourself, you're like ah score. And uh, and Walt Vogel <laughs> studied this this phenomenon so extensively that he even turned his research into a book called Scroogeonomics, Why You Shouldn't Buy Presents for the Holidays. And we read an interview uh, with Walt Vogel. This was taking place a while after the book came out, and, and they asked whether or not um, he gives his children presents around the holidays. And he actually does. He's just a little more hard-headed about the whole thing. And be, he did note that people may not want to give him presents anymore because right. he's going to be looking at them being like, well, I know she spent this much, but I have destroyed 13% of the value. Yeah, there's, there goes the, the deadweight loss. But it, it's kind of funny because after he gained this reputation as of being like the Scrooge economist of the holidays, uh, he went back a while later and really looked at that sentimental value add to presents that we give. And he kind of came around to this idea of, you know what? Yeah, this, the sentimental value can, can redeem some of that dead weight loss. And, you know, I think you can look at it from a purely utilitarian point of view in that, you know, yes, I spent a lot of time, Kristen, buying you that red sweater that you don't love. And it may have some sentimental value. But what Walt Vogel is not trying to, you know, deter me from giving you a present at all. He just, A, wants me to think more carefully about it. Or B, consider the fact that if I want my gift to retain the most value, let's say I've got $25 to give you and I want the gift to be worth $25. What I really need to do is give you cash or a gift card because that is the only gift that is going to retain dollar for dollar that value because my $25 red sweater only really was worth $10 to you. Mm -hmm. But if I give you a $25 gift card to a place that sells red sweaters, you're going to be able to maximize all $25 of that gift. Exactly. Um, and maybe that's why, according to the National Retail Federation, gift cards are the most popular gift that Americans are going to purchase this holiday season. And they project for the 2010 holiday season, we're going to drop an average of $145.61 on gift cards. And gift card spending is expected to reach almost $25 billion. And I find that surprising. Even though Walt Fogel recommends it, and even though those numbers indicate that lots of people are doing the gift card thing, I still think that people have that kind of aversion to saying, uh, I wanted to spend $25 on you. You know, it's the same mm-hmm. thing why you don't, you know, I was, my mom always told me, like, we're not giving a kid cash on his birthday because it's so, it's so tacky. Right. So while according to the National Retail Federation, the number one reason people don't buy gift cards is because it does seem too impersonal and seems a little thoughtless. Walt Fogel is giving you the perfect 
counter argument yeah. to that to say, hey, you know what? I, it's a recession. I'm just maximizing my dollars for myself and for the recipient. So, so Walt Pogel really takes a look. I mean, he's trying to make things equal for a giver and a receiver. The giver is going to spend $25. The receiver is going to get $25 worth of value of it. But let's take away the money and go back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of just that warm glow feeling. I mean, if, if we take away the money from it, is it better? I mean, he's trying to make it equal. Better, equal to give, equal to receive, $25 worth of value. You can put a number on it. Great. But taking away that number and I just give you a present, you receive it, you like it okay. Who's coming out on top here, Kristen? Yeah, see, here's the thing with this whole giving, receiving and the whole question of uh, whether or not, you know, this means that, you know, maybe humans can be completely selfless. Well, economists have another answer for that. <laughs> As well. And it's something called impure altruism or warm glow altruism. And it's basically this idea that we tend to give generously when we know that we are going to receive back generously, whether it's just the, the adoration of someone, you know, just thinking that you are the most, the kindest, most thoughtful person that they know, or a, a tangible payback such as a tax return from a charitable donation. Or, you know, if I know that my birthday is coming up soon after Kristen's, I'm getting I'm getting her a good present, so she'll feel pressure to get me a good present. Exactly. So those researchers are saying that there is no really pure good deed, that we're always giving because we've got an eye out for number one. Is that right? Yeah. And the Freakonomics blog on New York Times points out that with charitable giving, uh, Americans tend to be pretty generous, but we're especially generous on December 31st, which is the last day that you can get those tax deductible donations out the door and then reap the benefits in April. Mm-hmm. And also there have been studies finding that um, eBay items that are marked for charity have a much better chance of selling than items that don't. We do get this. We definitely feed off of that idea of the, the warm glow altruism of, of wanting to receive that um, that warm and fuzzy feeling back. That as long as we're going to give, we want... We want happy fuzzies because we did so. So with all of this, even with the, the potential deadweight loss, I would say, Molly, this all stacks up to a confirmation that, yes, it is better to give than receive. Yeah, and Walfogel does point out that if we just eliminated gift giving altogether, he would prefer we do cash and, and gift cards. But if we had to eliminate all of all of those, it would have emotional repercussions on relationships because we do thrive on that back and forth, that acknowledgement of, Here's a person who is important to me. I'm recognizing the fact that I find them important by giving them this gift. Yeah, and it makes total sense because we've been doing this for thousands of years. So as you're wrapping, I hope someone out there is wrapping presents as they listen to us. And maybe yes. maybe you're getting a little grumpy. Maybe I really hate when that tape dispenser gets all uh-huh. all screwed up and you can't get a nice piece of tape. If that's happening to you, don't don't throw in the towel just yet. Just wait for the warm glow. It's coming. Even though this season is stressful, it's still better to... Go through all that crap at the mall and, uh, and, and reap the emotional rewards, both for yourself and your recipient. So in the meantime, we will have, uh, the gift of listener emails to give to you. That's true, because you've given them to us. We yes. receive them. It makes us happy. Now we give some of them back. Yes. I have one here from Melanie. It's about our Women in Scandinavia podcast. 
And she writes that she lived in Sweden for two years, and I had the opportunity to travel and work all over Scandinavia. Here's my observation about how friendly to women it is. As you guys said, this all depends on how you quantify things. If we are talking about possibilities and choices, the United States comes out on top, in my opinion. The high taxes required to support the generous maternity-paternity leave and extensive daycare system in Scandinavia drives the cost of everything up. Consequently, in most Scandinavian families, both parents are forced to work in order to sustain an average standard of a living. There are no couples I knew in Scandinavia in which the mother could feasibly stay home for financial reasons. However, in the United States, many of my girlfriends have chosen to stay home with their children and are thrilled that they are able to do this while their husband provides financial support. So in that respect, I would say the U.S. gives families and women more choices as far as how their family is structured. It does not seem to me that any country quite consciously eliminates such a big choice for women as being especially friendly to them. Pretty interesting thought to me. It is very interesting. Well, I've got an email here from Annie, and this is in response to our two-part series on women superheroes. And she writes, about a year and a half ago, I started watching Xena Warrior Princess, and I was shocked at what I found. After about a season and a half of good, campy fun, the storyline started deepening. The relationship between the two female leads, Xena and Gabrielle, deepened, and they started telling some seriously complex tales as Xena fought for redemption. So now, even at a quarter century of being alive and being a mostly developed adult, I'm happy that strong women have found such a place on television because I think it's pretty cool that Xena of all shows, has given me two such cool role models at this point in my life and has actually led me to learn a little bit more about my inner workings. Who knew? So even if the comic books are still trying to get it right, I think female superheroes on television have been doing just fine. So thank you, Annie, and to everyone else who has written into mom stuff at HowStuffWorks.com. You can also head over to our Facebook page. Leave us a comment there. Let us know what's going on. You can also follow us on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast, and then you can read our blog during the week. It is Stuff Mom Never Told You at HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?